Hello and welcome to the CDO Magazine interview series. I'm Jason Brandt, Managing Partner and Commercial Officer for Stagwell Technologies. Today I have the pleasure of talking with Simon Nuss, Vice President of Data Solutions at Hitachi Solutions Canada. Hey Simon, thanks for joining us today. Good to be here, Jason. Thank you. You know, um, the C-suite can proclaim something about what they need or what they want, and that they can do that internally or externally. They can do that with the press or whatnot. But ultimately, there's a fairly large, there can be a fairly large, you know, gap between, you know, what C-suite may want and what they believe is right for stock price versus where the organization is at that current time in order to implement that effectively. Um, in mm -hmm. the middle of there becomes that cultural question. Um, what I have found, I think, very similar to what you what you have said is, you know, as much as you want to boil the ocean, as much as you want to show immediate impact, um, immediate uh, uh, effectiveness uh, through something that hasn't existed before, uh, which requires many departments taking an active interest into it and adopting it as part of their uh, part of their process, which requires a whole change management discussion. Uh, best to start small. Best to uh, create a stakeholder or several stakeholders to solve one very specific issue. Uh, do that quickly. Don't get it 100% perfect. Show a measurable change in both behaviors as well as business uh, outcomes. Even if it's small, it still it can still represent a larger opportunity to the organization. And then from there, take it to a larger audience. And once you do that, then all of a sudden people start to get behind it because you know, it's very hard for somebody in an organization to say they want to be first, you know, um, unless they're told to. And if you can show them how they can do it with very little effort, very little time from their teams, budget and so on, especially if budget's been allocated, you know, and then you can show something that can be done quickly and um, with with uh, results and their name can be attached to it, all the better. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, when it does come to I guess, you know, creating a highly functional or a very performant department, building a better department. Um, just a few few thoughts, a few tips to share with the audience here. Um, I, I think everyone would probably agree. It, focus on hiring strong talent. Um, if you don't get strong talent right, you'll feel the ramifications of that for years to come. Um, and it's not that hard, right? I mean, a one hour interview per person who's already been screened is not a big ask. So if you find someone who's good enough, maybe hold off. You don't want really good enough. You want amazing. You want excellent. Mm -hmm. And that could just mean, frankly, another 10 to 15 interviews. That's 10 to 15 hours of your time to find someone who's amazing. That's not a big ask. Mm -hmm. If you hire an employee for two to three years and they're amazing and it only costs you 15 hours of your time, mm. sign me up. I, I, I don't know. So yeah, hire strong talent. Don't rush. Hire people who are very, very good. Um, and I think sort of once you have that department up and running and you need to really champion them within the organization, you need to look at that department and establish their brand and identity amongst themselves, but also the organization. So if you have a fresh analytics department, they were hired in the last six to 12 months, say there's five to 10 to 15 of them, let them establish that brand. Let them host social events, community events. Um, what I often do is I I'm not wearing it today, but I have a T-shirt where my team made their own logo and they printed it on T-shirts. Actually, this is one of our mugs that we had. So um, I, I'm not sure if that's appearing on the on the camera because of the background, but yep. there we go. Yeah, yep. so my team made this made these Yeti mugs. Um, so yeah, let them establish their own brand. Gives them a lot of um, 
I guess, strengths to, to carry forward and to give them the confidence they need to, to really approach the business and keep going. Um, so those are sort of two things that are really important. And one thing that I, I do stress constantly is to measure your department, to capture all of the all of the activities you're doing. That could be things like how many POCs have you done? How many meetings with the business have you had? How many workshops have you had? How many, how many certifications have your employees or your business users earned through your actions? How many, obviously, how many projects have you completed? But as always, how much money, how much value have you brought to the business? This is something that I don't see a lot of leaders doing is mm. treating their department kind of like a science project, measuring mm. all those activities Use Excel. I don't care. Just capture it in Excel, create a nice shiny Power BI report on it. Come year end, that's going to be the most important thing you will have in your under your arm. Because when you get once again, when you go to those budget discussions, you're going to prove empirically, without a shadow of a doubt, these are the activities that I did and these are the outcomes that we got. And it's hard to do because you have to do this every single week or every single day, but it's so important to really measure what you're doing and to report on that. Um, so that's another thing that I like to always highlight, especially when starting a new department, because you constantly need new budget. You need to double or triple your budget every year for the first two or three years. And mm. capturing all those metrics is, is critical in that. I appreciate those points. I especially uh, the point about ensuring your team can create their own brand is mm. just a fantastic point. And I would even, you know, potentially go one one step below that in sort of creating personalities within the team that you can push forward. Like um, it's very rare. I come from the agency background and, you know, creating personalities within creative departments, as an example, is, has been something that's been utilized for a long, long time, though technology leaders haven't necessarily always shared the same spotlight. Um, and giving technology leaders in your organization the ability to have a presence, have a personality, have their own personal brand that they can demonstrate that they can you can put forward um, not only keeps people loyal, but also um, maintains and retains talent um, in a big way. Absolutely. Yeah, they can be a for lack of a better word, a lighthouse as well. Um, you get that person, you champion them, you you hold them on that pedestal, and you'll find that talent will be attracted to the organization. Other employees will want to upskill themselves to meet that sort of threshold. But it frankly just comes down to highlighting talent where, where, where it's due. And yet, once again, if you hire good people, you have a lot of opportunities to do that. Amazing. Okay, so that's, that's, that's talent. Let's talk tools for a moment. Um, you know, there's plenty of tools out there. Uh, that help companies with data engineering. I know that's a passion of yours. Obviously, your resume shows it. Um, you know, Microsoft Fabric is one that I believe you have experience with, Snowflake and the like. Um, are skills keeping up with the tools um, that are available? And if they aren't, how do companies align behind the people and the tools together? Do they hire to the tools? Do they hire the people and hope the tool and the opportunity to work with the tool comes later? Yeah, so two good questions. So the first one, um, are the skills of your employees keeping up with the tools? Um, functionally speaking, when looking at data engineering, there's not a lot that goes into a good data engineering pipeline. And frankly, it hasn't changed very much over the last few years. You want to extract and transform data. You want to monitor that. You want to set up DevOps processes. You want data quality controls and maybe some MDM or master data management. Um, 
However, I think we've all seen by now, hopefully on social media, that giant infographic. I'm not sure if you've seen it of of all the tools in the landscape. And this year in 2023, it was it was mammoth. Um, so it begs the, the question, like, why? Like, functionally speaking, the things that we do haven't changed much, but the amount of tools out there has has ballooned. I'm going to say like an order of magnitude in a two year period. Awesome. Um, it's 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 incredible. So. Um, I, th- I think it really changes on who your audience is or, or sort of what type of analytics team you have. What are the principles of your analytics team? So, for example, if you're on the open source stack, like DBT, uh, Superset, uh, the native Apache Spark, Great Expectations, if you're on that sort of open, that pure open source tool set, um, then yes, that infographic applies to you. Uh, and you're going to struggle because I've, I've been in this industry for a long time and Every two years, I'd say two to three years on average, you pick data quality, that whole stack changes. Um, orchestration, ETL, like in the open source stack, you pick any subject area, the tooling for that subject area completely changes usually every two to three years. So that giant, you will struggle. <laughs> Simon, I was going to ask you a follow-up based upon that because you brought up a great point. I don't want to lose it. Is about you know how leaders navigate those maps and... How do they choose something that's existing versus creating something that's bespoke? So, yeah, I mean, that huge infographic will apply to you if you're in the open source community. If your organization follows open source principles, that infographic is made for you, which means that every year as that graphic grows, you have to adjust your skills to keep up with that graphic of tools. Um, Conversely, if you're a Databricks shop, then it's still open source but it's all managed. All those tools are fed to you from the Databricks organization, which means that giant map doesn't really apply to you, which also means that you don't have to update your skills every year. Um, And so that's sort of one of the benefits of a managed open source platform like Databricks, as opposed to picking and choosing individual and managing individual open source tools by yourself. Um, But um, yeah, so I think that's, that's sort of you need to look at what type of organization you are to f- determine whether your skills need to keep up with the tools or not. Um, and and as a follow-up to that, because um, we've all seen those maps and they be, they tend to get more complicated, more daunting. I think I used the word earlier um, every year. Uh, so much so that as helpful as they are, they become, you know, probably to veteran leaders as well as to new leaders, overwhelming. Uh, overwhelming from the standpoint of, my gosh, how am I ever going to know all I need to know to do my job properly? Or how am I ever going to make a decision on what platform or tool to use if there's so much out there and those tools are segregated for every piece of, you know, every requirement that sits within a stack? So I guess my question is, you know, how do leaders decide upon what tools to use given the variety of things that exist, plus the opportunity of building something on their own, either with internal teams or external partners. Um, How do they make those decisions? How do they assess if they go with something that exists versus if they build something from scratch? I mean, that's, yeah, that's the big question, right? Um, I would say that there's a lot of legacy that probably already exists at the organization. Um, For example, are you an AWS shop? Are you an Azure shop? Databricks, Snowflake, or the age-old battle between Tableau and Power BI, right? So this legacy will will kind of beat you to the punch in even asking that question because you'll find that your existing talents, your existing biases, 
just automatically will push you in one direction. So that's really going to guide and answer the question for the most part. But let's assume you're greenfield. Let's assume that you don't have any cloud footprint and you have no analytics tooling, right? Um, how do you decide? I think broadly speaking, when we look at data engineering, selfishly, when we look at data engineering, there's really two types of data engineers out there in the world. You've got those who are open source, and then you've got those who are more platform focused. Um, that would be my first sort of decision criteria. If we go down the path of open source, as I alluded to before, you will have to navigate that forest of applications and that tooling that updates constantly. Right. Um, and then if you are more platform focused, the platforms, the vendors like Databricks, Snowflake, Microsoft, et cetera, they manage that for you. Um, but let's pretend you go down the open source stack. Let's pretend you are navigating that, that forest, that jungle. Um, it is critical that you stay up to date on what the latest news is. And that means following blogs, reading forums, jumping on Reddit, following Twitter. You need to understand what's emerging, but you also need to understand what is disappearing as well because open source is not managed. There is no organization behind it promising, guaranteeing that the, that it will be supported. And so you need to onboard that risk and the way you mitigate it, as I just mentioned, you need to stay on top of the news. You need to stay on top of the events that are affecting the open source stack. Perfect, amazing. So um, so let's talk a little bit about uh, sort of the notion of platforms. So Stagwell Tech, for example, we're a product and platform company. Uh, we, we ideate, we create platforms, um, most of which is, are bespoke for organizations that already have sort of their, their systems in place, but they want to modernize and maybe they're in transition. But our belief is many companies have had those platforms and those stacks are built. And But the, ex, the consumer expectations, user expectations, whether they're internal or external, you know, have started to surpass the experiences and the, and the environments that currently exist. Um, and their expectations sort of, you know, are are not are not living up to the, to the legacy platforms and what they can deliver. So, um, so we go in and we assess needs. We understand, okay, where where are the where are the needs and where is the current stack and so on, and we make adjustments and and design solutions accordingly. Um, but much of that success in making sure our customers get what they want sits within the role of the data, the data that's collected, the data that's actioned. Uh, to drive those decisions. Can you comment on the critical factors uh, necessary to properly collect catalog and secure the data to then ultimately drive what that next iteration in the stack requires? Yes. So what are the critical factors necessarily necessary to collect, store, catalog, um, yes. secure, democratize, operationalize your data, right? Yes. Um, for the collection of data, I would say that that is relatively straightforward. Um, it's more of a technical challenge. I mean, putting aside getting access to the system, um, which is a people challenge, is, is mainly a, a technical challenge that's been solved for decades, right? So collection of data, relatively straightforward. Um, uh, although it's rare, I've encountered some data owners who are unwilling to give access to their data sources. So that can be a challenge. Sometimes they'll only give you data of it in CSV or Excel. So that can be an issue. Um, you know, I think also on the collection of data, one challenge that I've seen is with the emergence of SaaS or software as a service. Mm -hmm. We see a lot of these vendors open up an API and that's the only way to get your data. But unfortunately, the API is throttled or it doesn't have what you need. And so that can be another blocker as well. But for the most part, collection of data is relatively straightforward. Um, storage of data, I think, is critical. Um, these days, usually without fail, every organization will have a data lake. 
Um, and we are leaning towards storing data in open file format. So a format that be, can be queried by any engine. Um, examples of these are Iceberg or Delta Lake. Um, and we now are seeing a, a lot of platforms supporting that approach as well. So Microsoft Fabric is one. We have Dremio, uh, Databricks that I've mentioned before. They all support these open, this concept of a lake house is what it's called, these right. open data lakes. And I'm a big proponent of that lake house approach, by the way. Um, so with that in mind, I do encourage people to think twice around their architecture. If you don't have open access to your data, for example, if you have to go through a vendor like Snowflake to query your data, why? Why do you have to go through Snowflake to query your own data? It makes you think, doesn't it? But these, these modern sort of open storage formats mean that you can query your Snowflake data without even loading up Snowflake. So storage is, is, is not straightforward right now. It's only really changed across the industry in the last three or four years. So I, I do encourage everyone to think more thoroughly about how you store your data because that's in flux. It's moving to this, this big industry shift called Lakehouse. Um, security, I think, is relatively solved. Um, mm. You know, ensure you have a good architecture that's secured at the network layer, pretty straightforward. So firewalls, um, virtual network peering. Ensure that you have a good authentication model. Um, that means strong governance around identity management. Who has access to what security groups? What security groups have access to what tools, for example? That's all relatively straightforward. There's nothing new that's changed much over that world um, that I can think of. Um, for security as well, it might touch on, um, you know, I, I, with security, I like to mention there are some interesting tools that have emerged probably in the last two or three years. Mm -hmm. um, Microsoft Information Protection is really novel and I like it. And what that will allow you to do is to tag a file in your data lake is highly confidential. And then as that data flows from your data lake into your data warehouse, as that flows from your data warehouse into your semantic layer, then a report and then into Excel, the data still maintains that tag of highly confidential. And that's amazing, which means that Excel file is encrypted if you set up that rule. And, all, and you, that lineage going all the way back to a simple file in the data lake you just set it and forget it. So that that is something that that is really I, I think emerged in the last three years. Um, those sorts of tagging and and um, lineage capabilities to track a tag throughout the whole data supply chain. Um, you mentioned sort of operationalizing data. Mm. That's that's the tricky one um, mm. because yes, you can easily build the house. Um, so you can create your your semantic layer, your reports deploy an, an inference model API, but how do you get people to use it? How do you promote adoption? I, I think operationalizing the data, the act of that is relatively simple, but then getting people to use it is a hard part. Um, and as I mentioned before, the critical success factor is to measure everything. Ensure you have monitoring reports in place so you can determine your customer's usage patterns of whatever you operationalize. Could be, it doesn't matter what it is. You need to make sure that you are capturing all the metrics around the usage of that thing. For example, you wouldn't deploy a website without tagging it these days. Right. You need to make sure that everything is tracked as the customer goes through the journey of that website. Right. So why don't you do the same for your data products as well? So those are some thoughts around, I guess, um, yeah, the different aspects of securing, storing, and democratizing data. Amazing. Simon, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, really informative and uh, it was a pleasure. Excellent. Thank you very much. Uh, for everyone that's listening, thank you for joining us and please visit cdomagazine.tech for additional interviews. Thank you.